be seated. Good morning. Welcome to Mercy House. I'm Robert. I'm lead pastor here and glad to see all of you. If you're elementary age kid, you can go down to MH Kids with Mr. Dan. I like it. I like running. It's good. Eager. Excited. Well, we've been slowly working through Hebrews chapter 13. You're still there. We're on uh, uh, verse 17. And so I would encourage you to grab one of those Bibles, even though we're just looking at one verse, uh, open that to Hebrews 13, verse 17. We've called this faith in practice, and the idea is that people who genuinely believe, believe the faith, as in the gospel, will also practice that faith. Those are different things, but they are inseparable. That if you've been gospel saved, is another way we've been saying it, you will be gospel shaped. And Hebrews 13 has a lot of uh, little, just one verse sermons in there to give us some idea of what a gospel shaped person actually looks like. And so we've learned that uh, gospel shaped people care for the vulnerable, they honor marriage. They honor God with their money. They care deeply about doctrine and about keeping it pure. They joyfully bear reproach for being a, a Christian. They offer praise to God with their lips. You heard a couple of weeks ago from Mitchell. And they do good and they share their resources generously. You heard last week uh, from Tommy. And woven into this chapter are a couple of verses, I think, that give us a clue about how we actually become the kind of people that are described in, in those verses. And the, one of the means that God uses, or very important means that God uses in the church to shape his church to look like these things, is he uses leaders. He uses the leaders of the church. We've already heard one verse and one sermon on leadership back in Hebrews 13 7 remember your leaders those who spoke to you the word of God consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith and we heard a sermon from Chris Gow about how we are spiritually formed in large part by hearing the word of God from our leaders and seeing how they live that word out and we imitate that and then 10 verses later, we see the verse that we just heard read, also about leaders. And so I'll read it again. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they're keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. Now, we're going to learn at least three things in this Text. We're going to learn something about the responsibilities of the congregation. We're going to learn something about the responsibilities of the leaders in the congregation. And we're going to see what happens when there's a healthy relationship between leaders and congregation. All right, so responsibilities for leaders, responsibilities for congregation, and what happens when that's all going as it should. So first we see responsibilities of the congregation. This is not the only responsibility, but... This is one of them, and that is to obey your leaders and submit to them. What does that mean? It means exactly what it says. 
There's no like special Greek word that really doesn't mean obey and submit. It actually means obey and submit. I looked at multiple translations to see how they would translate this, and almost 100% are obey and submit. So the idea is not just do what you're told. This is you, you kind of do this when you're talking to kids, right? You want your kids to do what they're told, but you also want them to do it in a respectful way. It's possible to do what you're told, but do it in a way that's punishing mom and dad. I know none of you did that, but it's possible. This is a thing, okay? And so that's why he says obey and submit. Not only obey, but obey in a submissive way, a way that's respectful, a way that is uh, honoring the leaders. Now, what leaders are we talking about? I think primarily he's talking about the elders in the church. Now, certainly, this can apply to other other leaders, but I, I think elders in the church have been given a particular office that is an office to oversee the church. They are to lead the church. Now, they also are to teach the church and shepherd the church, but, but one of the jobs that they have is also to lead the church. Now, for the Americans in the room, you're, you're already beginning to feel uncomfortable, right? I mean, when we were colonies, we had a king, and we got rid of him. Kings are bad, according to America, right? And we established a democracy, not a republic, really. But we all have a vote. We have power. No king is going to tell us what to do. If we want to get rid of our king, we just vote him out of office, right? And so already in our cultural ethos, we're set up against this kind of talk of being told to obey to submit and consequently the american church especially protestant evangelical type church has really imbibed this idea of democracy in the church a lot, a lot of churches are run like a democracy right like, like you you vote everybody comes and everybody votes on everything and there there is no sense of there's some sort of an authority over the membership now the Bible doesn't seem to teach this way of thinking, this what we might call egalitarian way of thinking. In fact, the Bible sets up good authority in the home and in the church and even speaks of it in the government. I'll give you some examples. In the home, Colossians 3, wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they be discouraged. It's, it's setting up authority in the home, and it's talking about good, godly authority. And, and when, when authority is working correctly, benefits are flowing down from the authority to those who are under the care of the authority. Bad authority benefits are flowing up from those under their care to those in authority. So this flowing down, we hear wives being told to submit to their husbands, and then husbands being told, you make sure you love your wife, right? The way that you're uh, living out your authority in the home is to be loving and not harsh. Children are told to obey their parents, but then fathers are told, you better parent in a way that does not provoke the child, right? Uh, these are pictures of good authority, where benefits are flowing down. 
uh, there's God-ordained authority in the government. 1 Peter 2, verse 13, Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. So he's describing good government, right? Good government praises what is good and punishes what is evil. That's what good government is supposed to do. In the UK right now, there's a firestorm in, in, uh, in, in this story on uh, social media right now about this wife in the UK who wants to divorce her husband. And so Tini Owens wants to divorce Hugh, and she's like 68, and he's like 80, and they've been married for a long time, for decades. And she says, the reason I want to get a divorce is because this marriage is loveless, and I'm unhappy. Now, in the UK, they don't have no-fault divorce. And so this case went all the way to the highest court in the UK, and they said, no, Teeny, you cannot get a divorce. And because the only way you can get a divorce in the UK is abandonment, abuse, or adultery. And no, none of those three have happened. So it's a very biblical kind of way of thinking about marriage, actually. And people are so upset because this poor woman can't get a divorce. Now, if they live apart for five years, they can get a divorce. They've been ap apart since 2015. So it's 2020, they can get a divorce if they, if they still want, or if she still wants to. But it's an interesting example of a government who's saying, no, I want to do what's best for maybe not you in particular, like maybe she's going to be unhappy till she dies, but for society as a whole, we're going to hold to marriage because we believe that marriage contributes to the human flourishing in the UK, right? That's governmental authority, right? looking out for the citizens, praising what is good and saying what is evil, right? Now, there's also authority in the church. Now, we just heard one verse about that, obey your leaders, submit to them. I'll read another to you, 1 Peter 5, 5, likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another, for God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. And there are other verses I, I could quote that sanction authority in the church. And again, good authority, the benefits flow down from the authority that is caring for those under them. Now, we, we have no problem finding examples of bad authority, where benefits are flowing up. Heard about this one on the BBC this week. This uh, Malaysian prime minister, Najib Razak, he uh, recently lost his election to become prime minister again, and everyone was sort of surprised, but he got booted out. And then the new prime minister took over, and they started looking into the financial books, and they found that billions, with a B, of dollars were gone, of state money, of tax money. And so they raided this guy's house. They found $300 million worth of jewelry and just various items in the house. Even a, a diamond necklace worth $1.5 million, right? all paid for by the tax dollars. Right? That's bad authority. That's benefits flowing up. Right? As opposed to an Australian doctor named Richard Harris, he was on uh, vacation in Thailand and, uh, a few weeks ago, 
and he heard that there was a whole soccer team of boys who were captured inside a cave that had flooded, and they were doomed to die. There's, there's no hope for these kids. And not only is he a doctor, but he's also a cave diver, one of a few people on the planet that knows how to dive in these very dangerous caves. And so he cut his vacation short, and he showed up on site. And the, and the Thai people there that were, that were there, the military and, and government officials, they put him in charge. <laughs> They said, what do we do? And he said, you need to call these, you know, five or six people who are cave divers, get them here, do whatever it takes to get them there. And they said, yes, we'll do it. And they just, whatever he said, they, they did it. And eventually he himself went down into the cave and he dove down in there and stayed in there with those boys for three days, keeping them alive and orchestrating their extraction, which was absolutely flawless. And they got every one of them out alive. That's good authority. That's good authority. But still, we might argue it's, it's, it's dangerous, isn't it, to put human beings in charge, right? And to some degree, yes, it is. Every human being is fallible. Every human being is, is sinful. Every human being has blind spots. Like there is, There's no human being that, that doesn't have weaknesses and blind spots and places of, of sin and, and rebellion. So... The Bible gives us some safeguards to, to protect us against that, right? to protect us against a leader who, who might seek to, to harm those under their care in the church or, or anywhere else. So let's, let's talk about those safeguards. Those safeguards are that the, the church leaders are under the authority of God's Word. Right? So they're not just ha- have authority. They are actually under other authority. And one of the ways that that happens is God's word. They, there's also a plurality of leadership in the church. There's not just one person. Right? And the congregation can discipline or even remove those who are in authority over them. So these are the three safeguards. Let me, let me give you some scriptures there. So the church leaders are under the authority of God. We, we read back in Hebrews 13, 7, remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. So these leaders that are in authority over you, they ought to be pointing you to God and His Word. Titus 1.9, which is part of the qualifications for elders, says he must hold firm to the trustworthy Word as taught so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. So your leaders, especially your elders, need to be living under the, under the authority of God's Word and pointing you to live under the authority of God's Word. If they're not doing that, then they're not good leaders. They're not safe leaders. It means the congregation also needs to know their Bible. How, how are you going to know if your leaders are pointing you to, to a life of submission to God's Word if you don't know God's Word? And there's a whole lot of reasons why you need to know your Bible, right, for your own personal, you know, devotional life and walk with Jesus. And but this is a add this to a reason, so that that you know what's what's right doctrine, what's not. In, in our culture, we we're so easily swayed by clever words and a passionate delivery. Now, there's nothing wrong with some good verbiage and some passionate delivery. We want to you know deliver the message of the gospel as best we can. But we, may, we can't be swayed by that. Right? We, we've got to know our stuff. We've got to know the scriptures so that we can know whether or not our leaders are leading us 
in a godly way. This kind of thing happens all the time. I mean, you, you, you know, you start Googling churches that are having problems around the world, and, and you will get quite a few hits. And, but it, it happened in this valley, not just, just down the street. A church in our valley had a pastor. He's a, he was a great speaker. He was a really strong relator. And not everything he taught and said was false, but some of what he taught and said was false. And it resulted in a split of that church, of those that wanted to maintain sound doctrine and those that felt an affinity for the pastor and they felt close to him and they liked him. And so they left with him and he went off to start another church and those that wanted to hold to sound doctrine, they were left to to try to pick up the pieces and reestablish the church. Others left because they were just so disgusted with all the hard feelings that occurred because of the split. And, and when you get right down to it, it, it split in part because there wasn't a, a continuity among leaders and congregation regarding what was true about the gospel, what was sound doctrine. And because of that, disunity resulted. Now, another safeguard against bad leadership is that there's a plurality of leadership in the church. We notice, again, Hebrews 13, 17, obey your leaders. It's in the plural. Not your leader, but your leaders. 1 Peter 5, 1, I just read you. So I exhort the elders, plural, among you. The church is a dictatorship in terms of King Jesus is over it, but in terms of the, of the human leadership inside the church, it's not a dictatorship. There ought to be a plurality of leaders, a plurality of elders. Again, why? Because no human being is infallible. Every human being has blind spots, has weaknesses, has places of rebellion, places that need to to be counteracted by other leaders who also have their own set of blind spots and weaknesses and places of rebellion. And as they work together as a plurality of leadership, they're able to lead well in in the power of the Spirit. It's also just very difficult to lead a church by yourself. I know that full well. Whenever you plant a church, which I planted this church in 1999, you, you are the sole leader in a lot of ways. And so a lot of those responsibilities of making decisions land on you. You have to decide. And whether they, they, you know, they're success or failure, it, it kind of feels like it's all weighing on you. And so thankfully, we're not in that season anymore. We have elders. And so we, we have four elders, including me. And so this is, this is them. we got Chris and Dan and Steve and, and myself. And thank God for these guys because as, as we lead together, we, we lead better on, on a whole host of levels. Now, the third safeguard is that the congregation, if need be, can discipline or even remove a leader. We read about this in 1 Timothy 5. Do not admit a charge against an elder except on the evidence of two or three witnesses. As for those who persist in sin, rebuke them in the presence of all so that the rest may stand in fear. So it's describing a situation where a charge is being brought against an elder. And so first it talks about how an elder has to be protected against a charge from a single solitary person. The reason for that is because the elder is oftentimes having to have hard conversations with people in the, in the congregation. 
They're having to correct them. They're having to rebuke them. And when that happens, oftentimes there's some blowback, and the person starts to attack the elder, sometimes not honestly, right? And so there's protection for the elder, knowing that that kind of thing can happen. But then it, it also says, you know what? There's going to be days when an elder is actually doing something sinful and is refusing to repent. And if that is the case, then the church has the power to remove that elder. Now, in, in, in church summits, uh, we, we do this once a year where we either vote in new, new elders or we confirm the elders that we have. And it's that moment where we, we are re- all reminded that the elders answer to the congregation. That, that yes, the congregation is to submit to and obey the elders. Absolutely. It's right here in Scripture. But that also the elders answer to the congregation. That the congregation has the power to discipline or even to remove elders. So once a year, the elders, including me, kind of go before the congregation and are voted on. Right? And it's that moment where we're reminded that the highest human authority in the church is the congregation. That when it comes down to it, the congregation is responsible for itself. And so if it has elders that are teaching wrongly or living wrongly, it is their responsibility to do something about it. And we read about that in in verses like 1 Timothy 5. Now beyond all those safeguards, we're reminded in this passage from, from Hebrews 13, 17, that the elders are leading under the greater authority of God. Regardless of what congregation is doing, God is involved in the life of his church. He's not aloof. He's not standing back. He's heavily involved. And those that lead the church are, 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 are leading under his authority. We read that when, in thirteen seventeen, where it says, For they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will give, have to give an account. Those are sobering words, especially if you're a leader in the church. You will give an account. You will, will, will render what is due. And, and so this, this, this is true of all of us in some sense, right? We're going to stand before Jesus, and we're going to have to give an account. What did he give us? Did he give us a spouse? Did he give us children? Did he give us finances? Did he give us a, a vocation? Did he, did he give us influence in the community? What did he give us, and how did we steward that? We're going to be called to account for that. Not in, in, in terms of us, we got to do really, really well so we don't go to hell kind of an account. But, be, but those who are saved by grace through faith are still held to an account. There's an accountability to what God has given us. And if we're a leader in the church, added to that list of what we have to give an account for is the church. And so those who are, are leaders, certainly elders, but other leaders in the church, you, you should lead as those who are having to have a staff meeting with Jesus and him saying, tell me how things are going giving an account. We, we hear this uh, in other places in the Bible, 1 Peter 5, 2 through 4, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willing, willingly as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. You see it in that passage there where he's saying you should think of this flock not as your own leader but 
as God's flock. You're not the chief shepherd. You're the under shepherd who is under the authority of the chief chief shepherd. Now, what are we call it being called to account for? What is it that's in our job description that Jesus is going to say, how well did you do this? Right? Well, how well did we keep watch? Right? That's what Hebrews 13, 17, keeping watch over your souls. That's what leaders in the church are supposed to do. That's what elders in the church are supposed to do. And this is the language of shepherding. What does a good shepherd do? Well, they keep attentive to the needs of the sheep. They're keeping watch. They're concerned. And what do they do for the sheep? Well, they feed them, they lead them, and they protect them. That's what a good shepherd does. That's what a good one who's, who's doing a good job of keeping watch. They're feeding them. They see what they're hungry. They feed them. They lead them where they need to go. What's the next thing? Right? And they protect them. So what do they feed them? They feed them the word of God. Good elder, good leader, good shepherd. They don't just merely give them human advice. They don't just merely give them material assistance. Those things are, are good and, and, and certainly are, are appropriate at times. But what they need to do most of all is give them the word of God. And so if, if, if your leaders, especially your elders, are not giving you the word of God, they're not being a good leader. This is what Jesus means when he, he's talking to Peter in, in uh, John 21, and uh, he, he asked Peter, do you love me? Peter says, yes, I do, and then Jesus says, feed my sheep. That's what he's talking about. How do you feed the sheep? The word of God. The word of God. Then you lead them. You lead them. Now, there's a number of ways that elders lead the church, everything from what are we going to do for small group ministry to how do we manage our money, all, all kinds of of things, but, but primarily they, they want to lead you, and I want to lead you by pointing you to Scripture, right? It goes back to that authority that, that I'm under. I'm standing up here, and I'm not the ultimate authority. This is, I'm under the ultimate authority, which is God, and He's revealed Himself through His Word. And so they, the leaders in the church, the elders, want to lead you through Scripture, and then to protect you. Good shepherd protects the sheep. Protect you from what? What are you talking about? Well, a lot of things. Protect you from Satan. Right? He's a very real danger. So elders need to be prayerful. They need to be looking out for the enemy, looking out for ways that he is hurting the sheep. Uh, protection from your own sinful tendencies. Every, every member, including elders, need help. Being protected from their blind spots. Places of weakness, places of re rebellion, right? They need to be protected from other sheep in the church, right? All, this, all the people in the church are not perfect. I don't know if you've noticed that, but we're all quite a wreck. And so we can start to hurt each other. And so it, it's the responsibility of the elders to step in and to make sure that sheep don't hurt sheep. It, it, it's the responsibility of the elders to protect the church from wolves. And what I mean by that are those that are in the church who are professing to be sheep, but they actually aren't. And this happens. Not often, but it happens. And elders are to be on the alert to, to, to make sure that sheep are protected. And, then, and, of course, protecting them from the destructive influences of the world. There's lots of things that are hurting the sheep. They may not even know that they're being hurt. By, by some of the things that they experience in the world. And most of, of this is done 
by the prayerful, word-informed counsel that a leader gives in helping protect the sheep. Now, keeping watch over the, the sheep at Mercy House is hard. It's hard. Um, there's so much coming and going. People that come maybe for a year and then they graduate and head out or maybe even for a, a number of months. I mean, we have people come in, some of you, for the summer and you're here for a particular reason and then at three months you're out of here. So it, it becomes very difficult to, to know how do we keep watch if we're being held accountable as elders to keep watch. How, how are we going to do this? Now, I see this as a, as a blessing on one hand because we are a sending church. We see a lot of people come here, come to faith in Christ, be built up in the gospel, be sent out all over the world. That's awesome. But again, it has some challenges where we're trying to keep watch over our flock and it's hard to know what is, you know, our flock. So the way that we do that practically is we have membership. This is, this is partly why we have membership. This is partly why I talk about membership. This is partly why I try to get you to become members of the church. If, if you're here week in, week out, you consider yourself a part of the Mercy House family, we're, we, we, we want you to become a member. Because that lets us know, you're saying to us, we want to be cared for by the leaders of the church. It also lets us know that you're saying, and we submit to the leadership of this church. Otherwise, we don't know. Right? Otherwise, it, 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 it's difficult. Now, sure, there's kind of an organic kind of connection, and we're certainly going to shepherd organically as best we can, those that are part of kind of the, the network of relationships that makes up our church. But it's extremely helpful when folks are saying, no, I'm here. I'm a member here. And I'm submitting to the, to the vision of this church, to the leadership of this church, and I, I'm asking for care from this church. We renew our membership every year. Some of you, you're you just like, why do we do this? This is, this is stupid. Well, the reason we do it is, is because we're trying to figure out who is the flock. Because some people have left, right? Some people have come. What's going on? What's going on out in that sea of relationships, that network of relationships? Who is part of the flock? And so as, as, as people renew their membership, then we know, okay, so this is kind of a refreshed list of those that are committed to this place, and they are under our care. Um, so obviously one of the ways to apply this sermon, if, if you're here, like this is your church, you come week in and week out and you serve, join the church. If you haven't done it, because we are giving unique, special, focused attention to those folks who've joined the church. Just let you know that. The elders are giving special attention. And, and we're doing that because we can't give attention to everybody who just walks in the door. So we've got to start with something that so this is our flock. Right? And so if, 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 you, if you want to be prayed for more, if, if you want to have initiation more from leadership, then become a part officially of the flock. I think the next Mercy House, Meet Mercy House class, so you can do that October 6th. So write that down. Write it on your card. Say, I, I want to come. I want to come to meet Mercy House. I want to find out about membership. October 6th. Now, what happens when leaders are keeping watch and the congregation is submitting to the leadership and it's healthy and, and it's right? Well, look, look at what it's described here. Let them do this with joy. 
and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. The, the result is joy. Joy-filled, genuine care for the flock. And I know sometimes when, when we buck authority, it feels like freedom to us. It feels like empowerment to us. And sometimes it's appropriate, obviously. But, but when it's not appropriate, when leaders are loving you, when leaders are, are shepherding you according to Scripture, and they're living that Scripture out, not perfectly, but best they can, and you're bucking that authority, it's not resulting in your freedom. It's not resulting in your empowerment. It's resulting in your leaders being embittered, <laughs> being weary. And then leadership becomes obligation. Now, it's the responsibility of the leader to then go to the gospel and get more grace to be able to shepherd well in spite of those who might be hard to shepherd, okay? But as one who's in the congregation, why would you want to do that? That's what this, this verse is saying. This is, this is not helpful, right, to, 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 to not submit to authority in the church. It is of no advantage to you. But think about a, a child who won't do what they're told. They feel very free and empowered. And they look at mommy or daddy and they go, no! But then what happens? They get constrained. Their freedoms are, are limited. But worse than that, mommy and daddy become exhausted with the child. And now mommy and daddy are just trying to, 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 to keep from strangling the child, right? Like, like they're just trying to remain civil and under control and get them fed and get them in the bed, right? That, that's not a, a place of human thriving. Some of you know what I'm talking about because you've got little kids. As opposed to a child that does what they're told. And they actually do it in a submissive way, an honorable way, a, a respectful way. And what happens is the child gets more freedom. The child gets to do more things. And then the energy that the parent was using for discipline now can pour that energy into the enjoyment of the child. Church works a lot like this. When you're just bucking the authority, it becomes wearying. Right? And then leaders can't have joy in leading. Now, thankfully... Leading here, it, it is a joy. Now, there are certainly days when it is not, but don't get me wrong. But overall, it is a joy to lead and to shepherd those in this congregation. So again, how do we apply this text? Well, it's for the congregation. There's some application. There's some elder application. So for the congregation, obey your leaders. Obey your leaders. If, if, if they're remaining faithful to God's word, both in their teaching and the way they're living that out, then do what you're told. Do what you're told, especially as it pertains to what they're teaching you in Scripture. Obey that. Now, you obey that ultimately because it's God's Word, but there's a second layer here that's being described, and that's that your leaders are, are teaching you the authoritative Word of God. Now, it doesn't mean you don't give your opinion. It doesn't mean you don't have a voice. Of course you do. Any good leader wants to hear what, what the congregation has to say, the ideas that they have for things, the, the Holy Spirit's dwelling in them as well. And so, of course, God speaks through the congregation. 
to the elders and the elders back to the congregation. But at the end of the day, decisions have to be made. And oftentimes those decisions are not based on what's scripturally wrong or right. They're merely practical kinds of decisions. We've got to do this in small group ministry, or, or we've got to do this in regards to our finances, right? Like these things, we can't go to a, a text in the Bible and say, thou shalt do this for small group. It's not in there, I promise. I looked. So what that means is, is after conversations have been had and the things have been voiced and the elders make a decision, you say, okay, I'm going to do it. It may not have been the decision you made, but, but it, it's partly how unity is brought to the church. Right? Now, we, I think, preached earlier a few weeks ago about how sound doctrine brings unity to the church. But again, what, what happens when there's things that are beyond sound doctrine? We can't find a verse for it. Then what? Then somebody has to make a decision and lead. And when the congregation says, yes, absolutely, I, I will follow that. It brings unity to the church. And again, if, if elders are not teaching the scripture, they're not calling you to obey God and his word, th then they need to be disciplined, they need to be removed. So it's not like you can't do anything to, to, to not obey the, the, the leadership in the church. Number two, and I mentioned this before, join the church. When we, when we started the church, I didn't really have a good understanding of membership. We didn't really have membership. It was just like, all right, whoever showed up, you're a member. And that was fine when we were like 30 people. But then we became 50 and 80 and 120, and then it, it got complicated. And it's like, who is our church? Who isn't? Who's here for just a week? I mean, and so it, it becomes an important piece of elders caring for the flock. And so if you haven't joined the church and you consider yourself part of this church, come to membership class. Come to Meet Mercy House. Join the church. And, and I think some of you, you, you hear that and you go, Robert, I understand the logic that you just laid out there and why it's important, and, but I'm a special case. I'm a special case. Listen to yourself. Listen to yourself. You are one that does not want to come under authority. You're like, yeah, yeah, but for those other people, membership's important. But I'm special. No, you're not. You're not special. Okay? Sorry to burst your bubble. But everyone is to come under that authority, including me. I'm a member of the church, too. Okay? I'm a member of the church, too. I'm part of the congregation. And so the need to, to somehow signify you're in covenant with us, you want to be cared for by us, and you are submitting to the leadership of the church. It's an important piece. Now, to, to elders, and certainly to other leaders, uh, I think a lot of this applies as well. We've got some things that we can take from the passage. One is, keep watch. Keep watch. Right? Leading in the church is not just about making programs and making sure the events are happening. I mean, those things are important, and they, they kind of create this, this grid that all these relationships and things happen in ministry. But, but our role is to keep watch and make sure people are led and fed and protected. And so it's tremendously challenging for 
myself and for the other elders and, and other leaders in the church to feed and to lead and to protect. And to do that in a way that, that we're rem reminding ourselves we'll have to give an account for this congregation. That when I stand before Jesus, I will give an account. I'll give an account for my wife, an account for my kids, an account for the, the, the financial resources God has given me to steward. But one of the things that I will give an account for is, is this church, is this congregation, as will the elders that serve with me. Also, that, that you would long for, for leadership, all kinds of leadership, that the men in the congregation would long to be an elder, to aspire is what First Timothy 3 says, that those that aspire to be an elder desire a noble task. Evidently, it's a good thing to, to aspire for that, to desire that, and to want to grow in maturity to a point where you're, you're not just following Jesus for yourself, but actually following Jesus such that you're pouring out for, for others. And those of you that are saying, yes, 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 I aspire to be an elder, what I don't want you to do is come up to me and go, I want to be an elder. I want you to come up to me and say, how can I assist the elders in ministry? That's what I want you to do. Because that's what an elder would do, is to be most concerned about the ministry to the flock, not the position that they might be given. You with me? And so, again... For the men in the church, and I know that's a whole other topic I don't have time to go into. Why are elders only men, etc.? There's some sermons online I've preached already. Maybe I'll post one. You can listen to it. But for you to aspire to be an elder, that, that's a good thing. That's a good thing. Now, this should all drive us to the gospel. <laughs> I mean, you think about what's being asked of us, a congregation of sinners saved by grace, who are being led by a group of sinners, saved by grace, are supposed to somehow bring glory to God and much good for one another and for the world that we're on mission to reach. That, that's a tall order. And so that should drive us to the gospel. It should, should not, not, not cause us to, to kind of gird our loins and say, okay, I'm a, we're going to try harder this week to be this. No, no, we, we want to go to the gospel of grace. We want to be reminded, and we're reminded every time we come to this table, are we not? When Savior King Jesus, who says in Matthew 28, all authority, that's A-L-L, -L, all, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. That's some pretty impressive authority. And what does he do with that authority? He takes bread, breaks it. He gives it to them saying, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup and after he blessed it, he gave it to them saying, this cup is the, the new covenant in my blood shed for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. As often as you drink this, do this in remembrance of me. The one who had greatest authority, allowing his body to be broken, his blood to be spilled out so that sinners like you and me could be forgiven, could be washed clean, and could enter into a covenant community known as his church. That's what he's saying when he says that, that this blood's being poured out for, for this new covenant. 
He's talking about the covenant community of the church. And he's saying because of the grace of the gospel given to us through the cross of Jesus Christ, we can now become this new community. And this new community actually has an authority structure that shows the world that the gospel is true. That leaders are loving and pouring out sacrificially in such a way that the sheep are benefited and they, they, they look from, out from the world where authority is corrupted on so many levels and they look into the church and they say, it's not perfect, but there's something going on there that's supernatural. So that's, that's what we want to see in, in our church. And I, I think to some degree we've seen glimpses of it. And yet I think God is bringing us to a new place where we're less kind of a herd of cats, you know, just who's the flock? You know, <laughs> I don't know. To becoming to, to a place where there's more of a sense of, no, there is a flock here. And we always want there to be people coming in and out. I mean, September's when it gets here, you know, this this room is going to you know, explode with people, and we're going to have to have a second service. It's awesome. But in the midst of all that mission, all that disciple-making and reaching people and seeing folks come to faith in Christ, we, we want to have this flock. And both the flock has a sense of itself, and, and the leaders have a sense of what it means to keep watch over those in the flock. That sound good? I think it, it, it's coming. I think we're, we're growing into it, right? And we're doing so by God's grace. So let's celebrate that grace. If you are a follower of Jesus, we want to welcome you to the table today. If you're not, we want to welcome you to take Christ by faith. And if you want to talk about that after the service or even come back and talk to me, I'll be in the back here in a minute during communion time and talk about what does that mean to receive Christ by faith. I'd love to do that. Or maybe there's a Christian friend here that you would, could talk to and find out more. But during this time, we're going to ask that only Christ's followers would come, especially those who are members of the church. This is a sign of, of who's in the flock. You see, they take this bread, they take this cup, and, and it's, it's this way that we say, no, we're, we're not only reconciled to, to Christ, we're reconciled to one another. We're in this family together, and we know that it's by God's grace through the cross of Christ, right? So let's celebrate that, let's, let's observe that, and uh, there'll be a few of us in the back available to pray, we'd love to pray with you, for you, I'm always up for prayer as well, um, so let's, let's pray. God, we thank you that you are a good shepherd, you are perfect authority, you have no blind spots. You have no weakness. You have no sin. You are absolutely perfect. And in your perfection, you executed a rescue attempt, sending your son to die in our place so we could be forgiven. And not only reconciled to you, but reconciled to each other in the local church. God, thank you for that, for that gracious gift that you've given us. May you bless this bread and bless this cup as we take it, God, help us to, to even in a, a greater way to appreciate the gospel community that we are a part of. And Lord, help us to grow as a church, both in the responsibilities of the members and the responsibilities of the leaders. Lord, help us to mature and to grow. 
Help us to bring much glory to you in this place and beyond. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.